0: The kitten was covered in dried blood when I found her, barely the size of my hand. The trembling thing tottered its way toward me in fits and stops. She moved like a broken wind-up toy. It had been years since I had a farm cat, so the appearance of the mewing trespasser was a mystery. The farm was far enough from town that I never saw a stray animal. There were just too many predators between me and civilization. Someone must have dumped a pregnant female near the farm, I thought. I searched for others in the litter, while holding the shaking kitten under my arm. The cat had been living under a half-empty grain bag, and the mother was nowhere to be seen. Neither were any litter maids. Only a bloody circle of dirt with tufts of fur and bits of bone let me know that a cat had been there. Looks like we're on our own, I told the shaking kitten, as I placed it under my coat to keep it warm. We were in the first few weeks of fall, and the cold of the north was making itself known. I crunched my way through the frost to the house and kicked off my boots on the porch. The kitten cried with every breath. I was sure it needed to eat. I remembered an old conversation about how sheep milk wasn't suitable for cats, so I placed the kitten in my warming box and searched for emergency formula recipes. I found a recipe that I had the ingredients to make and set to work mixing a can of evaporated milk, egg yolk, and a couple of tablespoons of caro syrup. I didn't have a bottle that would work for the kitten, but there were a few syringes around from vaccinating the sheep. I unwrapped the syringe, filled it with the emergency formula, and pulled my little patient from her box. She took to milk quickly, and I began to wonder where she was putting it all. She took to milk quickly and I began to wonder where she was putting it all as I filled the syringe over and over with the custard-like formula. After this third syringe, I gently squeezed the kitten's tummy, but it didn't feel full. I continued feeding her, and I studied her as she ate. The kitten's paws were massive for its size, almost clownish, and every paw had a sixth toe. Most of the kitten's coat was matted with blood, but rich chocolate fur was partially visible on her tummy. I smiled as I watched the kitten's sapphire eyes droop contentedly. Then I noticed her teeth. An extra set of canines protruded from the top and bottom of the kitten's mouth on both sides. ''That's creepy,'' I said as I laid her in the cardboard box. ''You're a creepy little kitten,'' I sang song to her as I rubbed her head. It took a couple of hours to finish up the chores, and by the time I finished, the veterinarian's office was open. The doc kept some time available in the morning for walk-ins, so it wasn't long until Carol, the veterinarian assistant, had washed the blood off the cat. The kitten was cuddling against my palm when Dr. Weller pushed his way into the exam room with a cup of coffee. Mar, are you picking up strays again? Doc asked as a greeting. I knew Doc Weller before he was a doctor. We met in middle school when my dad moved us north from Tennessee to help on my uncle's farm. I was the only middle schooler in class with a twang in my voice. But Weller didn't care, and that made all the difference. You are never going to stop teasing me about those possums, are you? I said as I handed the kitten over. Never, he said as he began poking at the chocolate ball. Well, possums eat ticks, so it was basically a community service. Sure, that must be why you named them. My only reply was a raised eyebrow. Those teeth are something else. Doc said after he jerked his hand back. I could see blood beginning to well up on Doc's calloused finger. Those second set of canines have an edge to them, but she looks healthy. Doc set the kitten down on the exam table. You won't have trouble getting this one adopted. Those emo wicking kids would love her. Would they? Absolutely. Bill, my youngest, is dating one of those. He brought her home from college last weekend. She spent all Saturday night witnessing the moon and weeping. Seems like we're getting more of that type all the time around here. I laughed at his annoyance. Not all kids want to freeze their asses off hiding in the middle of a pasture drinking Coors Light. I said this knowing perfectly well that Doc and I spent many teenage nights drinking his dad's beer in the middle of my uncle's pasture. I don't see why not. It builds character and a healthy respect for watching where you step. I chuckled, thinking about how many nights of underage drinking ended up in scraping cow crap off school shoes. I'm thinking about uh, keeping her around the farm, I said as Doc transferred the kit into her cardboard box. In that case, let's get the first round of vaccinations in her, and I'll send you home with some formula, dewormer, and a flea and tick treatment. You got a name for her? "'Something like fang or—' "'Doc looked down surprised as the kitten licked at the blood seeping from his finger. "'Or Vampirella?' he said with a scowl and pulled his hand away from the kitten's tongue. "'I was thinking—muffin. "'Blood muffin,' Doc said with a wink. "'That's disturbing. "'The wink or the name?' "'Both,' I said as I stretched muffin out on the exam table so Doc could administer the shots.' It'll be nice to have a cat I can witness the moon with. Doc Weller eyed me menacingly as he uncapped his syringe. It would be a week before the kitten could try solid food, so when we got back to the farm, I made some formula and fed the little beast until her tummy started to bulge. I swear I put three bottles worth into her, which was surprising because the bottle was larger than she was. I didn't spend too much time thinking about it because I had a few acres of fence that needed mending and not enough hours in the day. We were halfway through lambing season, and it seemed every time I turned around that a ewe would drop twins in the freezing cold and walk away from one of them. I tried my best to get the expecting mothers inside, but I would find myself out in the middle of the frozen pasture, searching for newborns most nights. It was the morning after Halloween when I found the lamb. He was half-dead when I got him inside covered in placenta. It was apparent his mother dropped him and walked away. It was lucky the ravens didn't get him. I have a warming box on my back porch, so I placed the lamb in it and then searched my freezer for bags of colostrum. The lamb didn't have the energy to move, and I knew I would have to tube feed him. As I worked over the lamb, Muffin watched. Muffin didn't get close at first, but it was obvious he was paying attention to the lamb. Yeah, it wasn't too long ago that I had to do something like this for you. Why is it so hard to keep you little buggers alive? I joked, as I gently slid the tube down the lamb's throat. I chatted to Muffin while she sniffed at the limp form in my arms. When there are newborns like this and they haven't eaten, it's best just to tube feed them if they seem weak. It helps them warm up and they don't have to work much to get the calories they need. Of course, you have to be careful not to get the tube in their windpipe. Milk in the lungs would not help at all. Muffin huffed at me and blinked slowly. I had the odd feeling that Muffin truly understood what I was saying. Too many hours alone on a farm will do that. After checking that the tube was in the right spot, I fed the lamb a bag and a half of colostrum while Muffin watched. She watched the whole thing. I felt a little odd about her unblinking attention. It was like having a stoic supervisor watching you work. After I fed the lamb, Muffin sat next to the warming box with a curious expression on her furry chocolate face. You look like you're thinking pretty hard, I said as I sat and scratched Muffin's back. It's our job to keep these little critters alive, or at least try to. This property isn't the safest area for sheep farming. It's just the one that I could afford. The truth of it all is... The predators around here eat sheep. Ravens, vultures, coyotes, wolves, foxes. I thought for a moment and continued. Bears, dogs, eagles, bobcats, mountain lions. Jeez, I didn't pick the right place for a sheep farm. Muffin nuzzled my hand and I gave her more scratches under the chin. Feel free to hunt any of those predators, you little tiger, I said with a chuckle as Muffin purred and nuzzled into my chest. The following weeks went by smoothly. I named our new sheep Ed and after a few days I put him in the barn with the other bottle-fed lambs. Muffin seemed oddly fascinated with the little guy and I would find her occasionally watching the lamb as it bucked and played in the barn with its new friends. After Ed was big enough to be let out into the pasture, Muffin started disappearing into the wooded area around the farm for hours at a time. At first I was worried about her but she showed up for the meals and bed, so I just accepted it and got on with my chores after a while. It was Saturday morning, and something was wrong. Muffin wound her long form in between my legs, and as I stood on the back porch drinking coffee and trying to convince myself that I didn't want to go back to bed, then I noticed it. The air was too still. Farms are noisy places, Coyotes howl, crickets chirp, and birds make all sorts of ungodly noises. At least, they did. I walked back into the house, grabbed my coat, and placed my coffee mug in the sink. When I stepped back out, the feeling of wrongness had gone away, and I couldn't understand why one minute was so different from the next. Then I heard a scratching at the door. I turned, and Muffin sat behind the sliding glass door. She must have gotten stuck in the house when I went back in for my coat. I opened the door. Muffin walked onto the porch, and the world stopped making noise. No birds, no bugs, and no coyotes. Only the sheep were making noise, which figures because sheep are too dumb to take a hint. The farm and the surrounding woods were silent until I shooed Muffin back into the house. Who knows what Muffin thought as I carried her in out of the house. I tested my hypothesis by shutting her inside. Then letting her out, only to scoop her back up and shutting her indoors again. She looked at me with her head tilted to one side in confusion, but I was generous with the treats, and that seemed to be all that was important. I couldn't quite grasp what I had just witnessed. Did my kitten frighten all the animals around the farm? It couldn't be a coincidence, could it? And when had I last seen a raven or heard a coyote? In the end, I decided to ignore it. I felt like I was ignoring lots of little things lately but I couldn't do anything about it one way or the other, so what was the point? That's what I kept telling myself anyway. The farm is small. I get my income mainly from wool and a few other odd jobs I can piece together throughout the year. I might make some deliveries or rake hay for a little extra income. One of my odd jobs is keeping an eye on the neighboring farm. The Lightbrook cornfield is 2,000 acres and millions of dollars worth of machinery and chemicals, Terry, the farm manager, paid me a small amount every month to keep an eye on the place since I was just across the road and in my pasture well past dark most nights. This night was no different. The holidays had come and gone, and now the weather was just brutal without anything festive to look forward to. Inches of soft snow layered over a thick coat of ice, turning my walk to the barn into an exciting game of will I fall on my ass, while lying in the snow after my second fall, I noticed a floodlight go out above the neighbor's farm and then I heard the gunshot. Without bothering to stand, I pulled out my cell phone and called Terry. I told him what I saw as I lay in the powder. Terry told me to stay safe and contact the sheriff's department. While I was on the phone with the sheriff's department, two more lights went out with two more gunshots than the roar of an engine. In the moonlight, I could make out a full-sized pickup pulling into the neighbor's farm. The truck backed up to the long cylindrical form of an ammonia tank. Before I knew it, they were driving away with the tank hitched behind them. A minute or two passed, and then two sheriff's cars sped by with their sirens and lights. I hauled myself out of the snow and trudged carefully back to the house. An hour later, I was visited by Deputy Fehe. Fehe was a dork in high school, all spindly legs and elbows with a goofy open smile that pissed off bullies and charmed girls. We were in different grades, but we played football together. I invited him in the house for coffee. Muffin wound herself around his legs. A couple of tweakers, Fehe stated as he stretched at my kitchen table. It might have been the Donnelly brothers, but don't go spreading that around. We don't know for sure yet. The truck took the curve off the junction too fast and rolled. The two in the cab legged it into the timber, but the crash released a thick cloud of ammonia and we couldn't follow them. After taking my statement, Fehe reached down and scratched Muffin's ears. "'What's your cat's name?' "'Muffin,' I replied as I topped off Fehe's thermos. "'I don't think I've ever seen a chocolate-haired cat before. Dang, she's pretty.' Muffin purred loud enough to shake the walls, but her joy was short-lived. Fehe's radio squawked, and I walked him back to his car. "'They may still be around, so lock your doors and give a call if you notice anything.' Fehe said as Muffin trotted along beside him. Fehe folded his long frame into his car and gave Muffin another scratch. If you do call, we won't be far. The sheriff has us all combing the back roads for those two idiots. Muffin trotted back to me and sat down, gazing up at Fehe and purring contentedly. Later, Mar. Thanks for the coffee. Nice to meet you, Muffin. Fehe called as he drove away. Muffin watched him go. He's a happily married man, Muffin. Muffin stopped purring. I can't believe that dork charmed my cat, I murmured to myself. Muffin chuffed at me and looked grumpy as she walked back to the house. I couldn't help laughing at her. Jokingly, I said, If anyone tries to break into that house, you have my permission to give them the same treatment that you give the ravens, and then I'll tell Fehe what a good job you did. I'm sure he'd be impressed. Muffin just raised her chin in distaste and walked away. Strangely enough, I fell right to sleep. A full day of trudging through snow and mending fences will do that. The brandy I put in my coffee probably helped too. The sound of glass shattering woke me up. I hadn't been letting Muffin sleep in bed with me, but she usually found her way next to my knees at some point each night. She hopped off the bed and walked to the door. A stream of cold air twisted its way into the bedroom, and I knew someone else was in my home. Muffin padded her way into the hall while I slid silently out of bed. I found my pants crumpled on the floor and pulled them on while listening behind the bedroom door. Checking pockets, I found my truck keys and wallet, but no phone. The phone was in the living room charging. I didn't have anything to attack an intruder. I'm not a gun guy. I'm going to keep the suicide machines out of the house in case I have a bad day kind of guy. After scanning the bedroom... I grabbed the spray-on deodorant from the dresser as an impromptu can of mace. The house is small, with two bedrooms. I used the second bedroom as an office, and that is where whispered voices came from. I heard filing cabinet doors open and papers fall to the floor. Silently, I plucked my phone from its charger. After slipping into my boots, I exited the house. I ran for my truck, each step crunching through a layer of powder and ice. Once inside, I called the police and drove up the road just far enough to watch the farm without being in the way. In moments, flashing lights descended on my home. No one's there, Fehe said as he sat in the passenger seat and warmed his hands on my heater vents. It only took you five minutes to get here, I said, a note of disbelief coloring the statement. They were here, and they haven't been gone long, Fehe reassured me. The blood hasn't even dried yet. Blood? Did you shoot one of them? Behe said as he scanned me for a gun. I don't own a gun. I raised the can of body spray from its spot in the cup holder. My big plan was spraying them in the face with this crap. They must have gotten a fight or something. It wouldn't be the first time two druggies tried killing each other over something stupid. How bad is it? There's blood all over your house and out the back door. I tracked it into the pasture and there was a big circle of blood where it looked like there was a fight. The nothing... Not creepy at all, I deadpanned. Guess I should get this over with. I said and stepped out of my truck. You want creepy? You won't believe half of the stuff I've seen since I started this job. Did you know we have a cult? What? Oh. No. Yes, just past the Smith Farm. They're on the other side of that timber you have to the east. I went out there six months ago when a school bus full of eighth graders saw a man in a hood and cloak cutting up a deer near the highway. I talked to the head cultist, or whatever he was, a guy named Buck. Fehe chuckled. Buck the cultist. Damn, Fehe, are you screwing with me? Not one little bit. Buck straight up told me they were doing some demon summoning spell, but he had a deer hunting license and was on his own land, so I couldn't do much other than look at him with my stern face. Fehe showed me an example of his stern face. It was pretty much his regular face with a squint. I think that would be something I would keep to myself," I said, grinning at him. Right. If you're going to summon demons, don't tell anyone. Fehe stopped a few feet from my front door. Wait, did you mean my face or their demon summoning? You want me to answer that? Hey now," Fehe said with mock irritation. Our laughter died as we walked into my living room. Dime sized splashes of blood, spotted every surface. I stepped to my office without worrying about tracking through the blood. What was the point? I couldn't make it any worse. The office had been trampled. One of the bookcases had tipped over, and it looked like the file cabinet had been emptied onto the floor. Cords of glistening red rolled slowly down the walls. Fey coughed. You should probably wear gloves when you sort through this. I'm sure those two idiots had a few diseases. Dazed, I tracked the trail of blood covering my office, living room, kitchen, and back porch. But doesn't this seem like a lot of blood to you? Shouldn't there be a body? I asked. It's a puzzle. Fehe's mouth hardened into a tight line. Especially when you see the mess out back. I pulled my chore coat on, and we followed the trail to the pasture. Damn, I said, not able to grasp what I was seeing. I know, right? Fehe agreed. We stared at the circle of blood and gore and disbelief. It was about six meters in diameter. Flecks of bone and knots of hair were trampled into the snow. A scattering of teeth lay in the center. After walking awestruck around the disaster, the deputy and I ran out of things to chat about. Fehe eventually broke the silence. I'll be back out here in the morning with the sheriff. he will want to see this. Try to get some sleep, Mar," he said then headed to his cruiser while I wandered back into the bloody mess that was my home. Then I remembered Muffin. I called for the kitten. There was no answer, so I poured some fresh water and food for Muffin and headed for the bedroom. I needed sleep. I didn't even pull off my boots or coat. I just crashed on my bed. It was still dark when the yowling woke me up. A low moaning yowl pulled me from a dreamless sleep. A burning, shuddering feeling led in my limbs... And my head felt full. It was too early for this, but I wiped the crud out of my eyes and forced myself to sit up. The yowling sounded painful and somehow everywhere. My conscience wouldn't let me ignore a hurt animal, even if my brain was too scrambled and sleep deprived to realize what it was. I trudged outside, thankful that I already had on my work clothes. It was like the sound was coming from inside my head, but it got louder the closer I walked to the pasture. I kept walking my boots, crunching loudly, and the frozen red snow. I was halfway to the circle, when I heard a sheep bleeding from a patch of knee-high scrub brushed to my left. The lamb was laying on the ground, looking at something in the shrubs. Ed? I asked, confused. The owling grew overwhelming, and I had to cradle my head in my hands. My eyes watered and my head felt too full. I knelt down next to the lamb and shined my light under the patch of shrubs where Ed was staring. My trembling kitten looked back at me, face matted with blood, eyes glassy, drool hanging from her quivering lips. She whimpered at me, and it was obvious she was in pain. Oh, sweetheart, I whispered, and continued to croon to her as I turned off my flashlight and pushed into the snow-covered shrubs. I sing song to her as I pried the branches away from her hiding spot. It will be alright. It will be okay. We'll figure this out. I finally pushed enough branches away to get a hold of my scared little kitten. I shushed her as I reached behind her front legs and pulled her up through the bramble. She was significantly bigger than she had been just hours before. Muffin's stomach was distended to the point that it resembled a volleyball. I cradled her gently with one arm and spoke softly to her as I hurried back to the house. We were almost back to the fence, when Muffin started to shudder and hack like she was working a giant hairball up from a deep, echoing place inside her. Suddenly my little chocolate kitten went rigid. Her muscles tensed and she began heaving and making a scraping sound deep within her throat. I didn't know what to do. I held Muffin as gently as I could, but the kitten spasmed and hacked so violently that I believed she would hurt herself. Things became all the more desperate as a purple glow emanated from Muffin's mouth. My heart hammered as the glow illuminated the flurries that fell silently around us. The light steadily intensified as Muffin used every muscle in her small frame to heave, hack, and strain. Then while I held her, she gave one more massive shudder. Muffin's mouth split at the jaw and unfolded until she looked as if a gramophone cone had been grafted to her small furry body. I was still holding my kitten. Somehow I hadn't dropped her. Somehow I hadn't run. Then the body of a man bubbled out of Moffin's gaping conical mouth and flopped onto the frozen ground. I stared at the body, but my mind would only allow me flashes of understanding. The man was whole, or intact I should say. No pieces were missing, but furrows had been cut deep into the flesh. A membrane of mucus enveloped the bony and sickly form of a meth addict. A cracking, sucking sound echoed around the pasture, and I looked down at the kitten in my arms, watching as her jaw folded back into place. Muffin looked up at me and mewed. She looked normal and smaller, still fuller, like she ate a large meal but less round, and her face looked normal, just like a cat. I compared the size of the grown man to that of my half-grown kitten, and part of my brain pleaded for this to be a dream, but I knew it wasn't. The cold was too biting to be anything but real. Muffin jumped out of my arms. She walked to the man on the ground, sniffed him, and wrinkled her nose. It he was cute, and that shocked me more than I can say. She looked up at me expectantly. It took me a moment to realize Muffin wanted something from me. "'Good job,' I said, my voice cracking and sounding more like a question than a statement." I knew I had to do better than that from Muffin's disappointed stare. Good job, I said with more confidence. You did a good job protecting the farm. I'll have to tell Fehe what a good job you did. After a pause, I added, There's new water in your bowl. Muffin seemed pleased. She turned and trotted happily back to the house. I stood near the body for a moment and then followed after her. Muffin would need me to open the sliding door. She is just a cat, after all. New on Curiosity Street, Darwin's Theory of Evolution. A scientific breakthrough, but 1920s Tennessee wasn't ready for it. It became the Bible versus evolution. Followed a heated trial that changed American education forever on Monkey in the Middle and It's the country's deadliest highway. There were something like 178 accidents in a two-year period. Don't miss the most dangerous road in America. Watch now on CuriosityStream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com.